Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to start reading in verse number 19 and finish up the second chapter of Philippians today, Lord willing. Philippians 2.19, if you don't have a Bible, please make use of the one in front of you there in the seat. It's always good to follow along. Have your eyes see what your ears are hearing. It helps you to retain it and believe it. Philippians 2.19, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state, for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father he served with me in the gospel. Therefore I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick, almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Father God, we're thankful for this passage of Scripture. We're thankful for the examples of these two men that Paul holds forth. I pray today as we look at this that you'll speak to our hearts. I pray that you'll speak to my heart as you have done in the study. I pray you do it even now as we, as we look at this and I proclaim what you've shared. I, I pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would just protect me from saying anything I ought not and embolden me to say anything I should and and I pray, Lord, that uh, you would just use every word uh, that, is, uh, that is shared here today. And I pray when all is said and done, nobody would remember me, but all they would remember is the Lord Jesus Christ and these two examples uh, the, of people who are living for Jesus Christ. So guide and direct, I pray. Meet the needs of these, your people, this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Who do we look up to? Who should be? Our role models. Who do our young sons strive to emulate? Or our daughters? Or our grandkids in some cases? Who are the role models in our culture today? LeBron James? Donald Trump? How about Khloe Kardashian? Or Taylor Swift. I found an article that listed the top 12 female role models for young women today. After I was done vomiting, I will, I will share with you some of the names. It included names like Oprah Winfrey, Beyonce, and Michelle Obama. Other such articles listed role models for young men. Uh, guys like Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, and Barack Obama. Interestingly, almost every article I found that provided some pundit's opinion on role models for young people today uh, listed either celebrities or sports figures 
of some kind. Those were the norm. And that's, of course, what people in our culture emulate. That's what we think is important. That's who we think are our leaders and our examples. It was interesting. I did not see King David on any of those lists. I didn't see Moses on any of those lists or the Apostle Paul on any of those lists. And I had to ask myself, how is it that men of such uh, towering intellect and ridiculous acts of bravery and feats of strength who wrought such astonishing victories, how is it that they didn't make a single one of those lists? I didn't see Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus, on any of those lists. I didn't see Mary Magdalene on any of those lists. How is it that, that women such as this, such glorious examples of godly, beautiful, feminine women, didn't make the list. How is it possible? I did amazingly see Jesus' name on the list. On one particular list, Jesus made the list. But you know what? He didn't occupy the top spot. You know who was over him in the top spot? Brace yourselves. Some singer named Jackie Ivancho. I don't know who that is. And Taylor Swift. Over Jesus Christ. Now, of course, one must consider the source. I mean, good grief, I was Googling this. And when we look to a worldly source, we shouldn't be surprised at all to receive worldly answers. But here's the thing. I think if I were to poll young people today, and I'm sure this is not the case with our wonderful young people here today, but I'll bet if I were to poll young people today, their answers would not be markedly different. And so the question I have to ask is, who do our sons seek to emulate? Who do our daughters strive to emulate? Our grandkids. Who are the role models that Christians today can and should look up to? You know, there are those who tell us that youth today are different than they used to be and that the way that we need to reach youth today is different than than we used to use. Interestingly, though, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible addresses this directly. The Bible says, Solomon wrote, that which has been is what will be, that which is done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. That's the word of God. I didn't make it up. And you know, the fact is, the things that kids face today, while there may be differences in technology and stuff like that, they're basically the same. Listen to what Socrates said. Socrates lived from 470 B.C. to 399 B.C. That was, what, 2,400 years ago or so, something like that? Here's what he said of the youth of his day. He said, quote, Our youth now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority, disrespect for older people. Children nowadays are tyrants. They no longer rise when their elders enter the room. They contradict their parents, chatter before company, gobble their food, and tyrannize their teachers. Now that could have been written today. No difference. The fact is we don't need new role models or new methods today. We need to remind ourselves that the role models God has provided in Scripture are just as valid today. They're for all ages. They're for all times. And Christians who, down through history, have lived lives like the biblical characters Paul is talking about here today are the role models that our kids and we ourselves need. In this section, we see Paul describing two men both of whom he cared very deeply for and trusted completely. Timothy was one of them. Timothy was 
arguably Paul's closest associate. Paul had apparently led him to Christ. He implied that, at least, in his letter to the Corinthians, when he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord. That would seem to imply that he had led him to the Lord. If so, his conversion, Timothy's conversion, probably took place during Paul's first missionary journey. Because when Paul came back to Derby and Lystra on his second missionary journey, Acts chapter 16, Timothy is then described as a disciple whom Paul then enlisted to go with him. Epaphroditus is the second man that's mentioned here, and he had come from Philippi to Paul in prison, bearing their gifts and their concern to him. He's the one who brought their letter and their gifts to him, and now he was sending uh, him back to them. And in his words about these two men, Paul included a very interesting and very helpful instruction. It's what I think perhaps is the key verse to this section, and it's verse number 29. He said, and he was speaking of Epaphroditus specifically, but I think it applies to both. He said, receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. Hold such men in esteem. In other words, honor such men. Hold men like them in high regard. Give them the honor that people like them deserve. That's at least the way some other translations translate that particular phrase. So if we want examples of the kind of people that we should emulate, if we're looking for role models to imitate, to look up to, I think we need to look no further than these two examples. It's much to learn from each. Young people, these are the types of role models you ought to seek out and emulate. And ladies, young ladies, I realize we're talking about two men here. But nothing that is described here about these guys is a masculine trait. This is a genderless discussion. These things apply to both men and women. So, ladies, you can learn as well. So let's look at these two guys. First of all, let's look at Timothy. Paul talks about Timothy in verses 19 through 24, and he gave some very high praise to this guy. He mentioned several characteristics that were true of Timothy. First of all, in verse number 20, he said he was a like-minded man. He said, I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. And he's describing the fact that that's not true of Timothy. He had just said he was sending Timothy. He's the only one, is what's being implied there when he says there's nobody else that is like-minded. One source described Timothy as Paul's second self. And we've seen throughout chapter 2 that this idea of being like-minded, of having the same love, of being one accord, of one mind, as he described in chapter 2 and verse number 2. It was something Paul was really, really seeking for the church at Philippi. Apparently, they struggled a bit with unity in their church. There were apparently some problems uh, with selfishness, uh, as we saw in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. And so against that backdrop, Timothy stood out. He was the one person who was like-minded with Paul. Actually, Paul went so far as to say he was the only one who was so like-minded. And he said he was very specifically like-minded in one very important way. Also in verse number 20, he said he was a genuinely caring man. He would sincerely care for your state. It was probably rare then, I think it's rare still today, to find a Christian who genuinely cares for others like Timothy did. Timothy loved people. He sincerely cared about them. He cared about their walk with Christ. 
in our in our busy world, our often too busy lives, it's it's very easy to get caught up in our own selves, our own routines, to to lose sight of what's happening with others around us, to know the hurts and the needs of others around us. You know what's going on with your brothers and sisters in this room? Do you know how many of them are going through hurts and needs and pains and trials? One of the reasons that we have prayer meetings, and one of the reasons I'm so passionate about prayer meetings, and I have to, I have to tell you that I was talking to another preacher uh, acquaintance the other day. I, I just met him, so I won't call him a friend yet, but he was, he was a preacher that I, I, was, I was talking with. And he said, boy, you guys sure love prayer meetings. And I said, why is that? Because he had gone out and looked at the church blog and the church website, and for there was a period of time there when the only thing I ever posted on the church blog and the church website was an invitation to a prayer meeting. I'm trying to rectify that now, but it just looked like it's the only thing we ever did was prayer meetings. But the fact is I am passionate about prayer meetings because it's in prayer meetings that we're reminded of the needs of others, especially others in our own number. Our care for others is rekindled, isn't it, when we hear their hurts? When we hear their needs. And yet it's awfully hard to find people who are willing to attend prayer meeting, even for one hour, once a week. Paul could only find one person, Timothy, who cared enough about the Philippians to go and check on their welfare. I'm always convicted by Jesus' answer to the lawyer. The lawyer who asked him the commandment, which was the greatest commandment. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22. Gaither Vocal Band took that particular passage and turned it into a very simple song called Loving God and Loving Each Other. It's such a simple truth. Such a vital truth. And yet it's so hard to put into practice. Love God and love each other. Timothy was an example of this in that he genuinely cared. He said in verse number 21, another thing about Timothy, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. He said that Timothy was a selfless man. He was an example of what Paul had just described as a key characteristic that he was trying to see uh, lived out in the lives uh, of these Philippians. Back up in, again in verses 3 and 4. Paul had a lot of guys that he associated with, a lot of people uh, that, uh, that were in his life. The New Testament describes many, both men and women, that he knew and worked with. The last chapter of Romans is dedicated to basically just listing a whole bunch of names of people that had worked with Paul and that he wanted to greet. There are 26 names there. And at the time that he wrote that, he hadn't even been to Rome yet, but he already knew 26 there. But along with the positive... Paul also experienced the negative. He had people do him wrong. Paul had people, uh, associates, turn against him. He had already described some such in the first chapter. Remember in verses 15 and 16, if you flip over there, he said, Some indeed preach Christ, even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. He was talking about some others there uh, that were a problem to him. He experienced men who started out strong and then disappointed him. Men like John Mark, who quit on him and uh, turned back from serving with him. Or men like Demas. Demas, who at one time was a very trusted and strong associate. Uh, in Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 14, he, sa- he talked about Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greets you. At that time, Demas was right there with Paul and serving right alongside of him. But then we come to the end of his ministry, Paul's ministry. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, we found that Demas fell back into the world and quit. 
He said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed. Against all that, Timothy stood out as this rare gem in this world of self-seekers. Most served Christ when it was convenient. Most served Christ when the cost was low. Most served Christ when to do so provided some current benefit. Few served when it got hard. Few served when it cost or when others plainly thought them crazy to do so. Timothy did. He was one of the few. And notice here again that Timothy was an example of living out this greatest of commandments. He not only loved others, as we saw in this verse, we see that he also loved and served Jesus Christ above. So both loving God and loving each other were seen in him. This next thing he said about him is in verse 22, but you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with him in the gospel. He was a man of proven character. Timothy had served with Paul since his second missionary journey. You can read where that started in Acts chapter 16. And there we read that he was uh, well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. He was proven both to Paul and to all the folks in his home church at Philippi. Sometimes when people first get saved, they are so on fire for God. And they are so excited about it that they want to jump right in with both feet and serve in some big way. But the best thing for a new Christian to do, very best thing, is to slow down and listen and learn and get grounded in the faith a little bit before you jump into the fire. Need, new Christians do need to do some things. They need to, uh, they need to develop some habits. They need to develop the habit of attending church regularly and sit listening to preaching. They need to buy a Bible if they don't already have one. They need to write their name in it. And then they need to write the date they got saved in there if they remember that. And then they need to learn to read it. And they need to develop the habit of reading it regularly. They need to learn how to pray. And they need to pray regularly and pray often. They need to experience God's answers to their prayers. All these things are foundational things that a new believer needs to uh, implement in their life before they jump into serving in some great way. They need to be proven. My mind goes to a young man that I knew when I was in Bible college. I went to Bible college from a church that's in Brimfield today. It used to be called Tree City Baptist Church. And uh, now it's Victory Baptist Temple, I believe is the name of the church now. But at the time, it was Tree City Baptist Church. And there was a great revival that took place in that church during those years. Uh, there was a whole bunch of us that surrendered to the ministry during those days and went off to Bible college. I think at the peak of that flow of people from that church to Pontiac, Michigan, to Bible college, I think there was 18 men and women who went, uh, which was pretty amazing. It, it substantially increased the attendance at that little Bible college. But uh, amongst all of those, there was this one young man who got caught up in the excitement of all that, and he too surrendered to the ministry, and off he went to Bible college. I don't think he was 20 years old. I think he was still in his teens. I remember him. He had been recently saved. He was all caught up in the excitement. And uh, I remember him entering. One of the first things he did was enter a preaching competition there at the school. And he was so excited by that. I could still picture him in my mind. He walked into the chapel on a day, a couple days prior to the event. And the chapel was empty and I, I was in there for some reason. I don't remember what I was doing, working on something. But he was practicing. And he practiced every line of his sermon over and over 
and over. I can remember him practicing even his mannerisms. There was times when he thought he should pound the pulpit a certain way. And so he would pound over here real hard. And then he would pound, and he just practiced this. Often it was hours he stood there doing this. And then he entered the competition, and I don't remember how he did. I don't think he, he did all that great. But I, I, what I remember is just his excitement and his fervor. And then I remember that he flamed out and dropped out, and I never heard of him again. I hope and I pray that he somewhere today is living for Jesus. I don't know if God had ministry for him or if he's just living a, a, a life for Christ. I don't know. I hope that is the case. But here's what I know. He was thrust into serving God way too early before he was proven. Timothy, on the other hand, Paul said was proven. If he had indeed been saved on Paul's first missionary journey, as seems likely, then there had been sufficient time before that second journey rolled around when he could be discipled, he could grow in his faith, and he could be proven to all the people in the church that this guy is ready to serve the Lord. And it's interesting that uh, later on Paul would say to this very same Timothy that when he was selecting other men to serve as elders in the church, he should select men who were, quote, not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil, 1 Timothy 3.6. So we need to be careful. We need to be careful uh, that our role models are men and women of proven character. Don't pay attention to the shooting stars. Don't pay attention to them. Look at the plotters. Look at the ones who have done the same thing, the same way, for a long time. Look at the ones who've stayed strong when they're attacked. Look at the ones who've endured trials and are still standing. The ones who have proven with their lives what they have spoken with their lips. They are the proven ones, like Timothy. Well, so those are the things Paul said about Timothy that made him a role model to be emulated. Let's look at the second guy, and that's Epaphroditus. He talked about him in verses 25 through 30. Epaphroditus has an interesting name. His name means charming. Charming. And all we know about this charming fellow is what we see here. In these few verses here in chapter 2, and in one more verse, chapter 4, and verse number 18. We know very little about Epaphroditus. He flashed onto the scene and then disappeared. But Paul said some wonderful things about him, and I wouldn't mind having Paul's description of him on my tombstone someday because they are such good things. Notice what he said, first of all, in verse 25. He said, I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother. My brother. I don't know about you, but few words are as precious in the Bible as that word. Brother or ladies, sister. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, in one sense, that's true of every believer, isn't it? Whether you like me or not, if you're saved, I'm your brother. You know? It's just like most of us might have multiple siblings at home, and we might like some better than others. That's possible. But we're all brothers. We're all sisters. But then there are, you know, there, there are brothers like that. But then there are brothers that we really, really, really feel a kindred attraction to that we really enjoy being around. There are sisters who really enjoy being with one another. And I think the fact that Paul described him here as my brother implies that there was some closeness here, that there was a relationship here, that he felt a true bond with Epaphroditus, and Epaphroditus felt it with him. I wonder, do you have that? 
Do you have brothers or sisters in Christ that you really, really, really enjoy being around, that you have a close relationship with? Uh, there's ways to find that if you don't. You know, that's why we have various activities. That's why we have small group type things, Sunday school classes, all that kind of stuff. Get together with some other Christian over coffee and drink coffee and yak and get to know them, and you'll develop those kinds of relationships. Epaphroditus was a brother, a brother. And we need that kind of relationship. If we're seeking out role models in our life, one of the things we ought to look for is those who are our brothers, those who are our sisters. I often think that that particular word must have been very precious to Paul. When we talk through Acts, I mentioned this, and I, I, I always think about this when I think about the word brother. You know, Paul had been saved in a very dramatic way. Remember how Paul was saved? Paul was riding toward Damascus. He was going from Jerusalem to Damascus to destroy Christianity is basically what he was trying to do. He wasn't saved at the time. He was Saul of Tarsus at that time. His name had not yet been changed to Paul. And Saul of Tarsus, going along the road to Damascus, came face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so blinding was the light of that encounter with Jesus Christ that he was struck blind from it. And they led him by the hand into Damascus, now a saved man. And he sat there in the dark for three days. And God took a person by the name of Ananias. And he said to Ananias, you need to go and talk to Paul, Saul, and uh, help him out. And so Ananias went... And you have to think about this. Uh, every Christian in Damascus must have known who Saul of Tarsus was. Every Christian in Damascus no doubt knew that he had come there to injure them, imprison them, perhaps kill them, destroy the faith that they held so dear. Paul, Saul had every reason to believe that every Christian in that town hated him. And yet here he is sitting in the dark. And the first words he heard after three days when Ananias walked into the room and laid his hand on him was, Brother Saul. I cannot imagine what that must have been like and what a precious word that must have been to the Apostle Paul from that moment on. Paul said Epaphroditus was a brother. And if we're seeking role models, we've got to start there. Christians look to Christians, not to the world for your role models. He said something else about him in verse 25. He said he was a fellow worker, a fellow worker. None of us really like the concept of work. It's not very well received in Christianity. Just ask anybody who struggled to find faithful nursery workers how much Christians like work, or junior church workers, or any of those kinds of things, or youth ministry, or soul winners, or any of those kinds of things. You'll find out that most Christians don't like this idea of work. But work is an important thing, and work is a key component of our lives. We were created to work. Back, clear back in the, in the garden, Adam was given meaningful work long before the fall. He was created to work. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. The happiest Christians I know and the happiest Christians that have ever lived are the ones who work for the Lord Jesus Christ. The busy ones. The hard workers. The Christians who stand when life gets hard are the workers the believers who stay the course and stick it out until the end are the ones who, looking back, can be seen to have been working faithfully all along. The hymn writer wrote, Work, for the night is coming. Work through the morning hours. Work while the dew is sparkling. Work mid springing flowers. Work when the day grows brighter. Work in the glowing sun. Work, for the night is coming when man's work is done. That was Epaphroditus. He was just such a man. 
He worked alongside Paul. He was a fellow worker. He said something else about him in verse 25. He said he was a fellow soldier. And boy, I like that metaphor. I like the idea of this, of this soldier picture. We are in a fight, Christians. Actually, we're in a battle. Spiritual warfare. It rages around us, and we need to recognize it. There will be times in your life when you'll be reminded of that fact. Most of us have been. And when those times come, you'll appreciate this soldier metaphor. Paul had already used this, this kind of language when he was talking about uh, something earlier in the letter. He said, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. We're in a fight. He would already told him we were in a fight. He wrote to Timothy words that are particularly strong and particularly helpful. He said, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2.3. I can never read that verse ever. It's forever linked in my mind now with the words of a pastor friend who called me after Beth died. And that's all he did. He just called me on the phone. He said, I just want to share a verse with you. You therefore must endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I never got over that. Amazing. And when Paul came to the end of his journey and was putting pen to paper for the last time, at least that we have record of, he said to Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So we're in a fight. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We're fighting. The Roman armies of the day and these Philippians, we've mentioned the fact that this was a Roman colony. They would have, they would have thought about this. The Roman armies of the day employed methods of warfare that made them the terror of all around. They would march in a block toward an, toward an enemy. They would have shields interlocked above their head and along the sides. I think I've heard it referred to as the Roman turtle. And they were almost impregnable because they were completely shoulder to shoulder, side to side, in a solid block advancing. And they were invincible. And we need to be that way. That's what Paul's talking about. Epaphroditus was such with Paul, a fellow soldier, shoulder to shoulder, Right alongside of him. Verse number 30, one last thing he mentions here about him. There's some others, but I'm going to skip them and just look at verse 30. He said, because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. He said that Epaphroditus was a man who serves Christ above all else. Above all else. Paul had implied the same thing about Timothy in verse 21. Both Timothy and Epaphroditus were first and foremost servants of their Lord and Savior. They were both men who lived for Christ, lived to do the work of Christ. One commentator suggested, and I found this very convicting, he said, in a very real sense, all of us live either in Philippians 1.21, which is for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, or we live in Philippians 2.21. All seek their own, not the things which are of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but that convicts me. These men, these role models served Christ above all else. And if you're, if you're looking at, at your scriptures there, you know there's some other things we could say about Epaphroditus. There's a couple of other things we could say about Timothy, but I, I'm going to stop right there because I think that's enough. We, we have here two role models that we all ought to learn from. Timothy. Paul said he was a like-minded man, a genuinely caring man, a selfless man, and a proven man. Epaphroditus, Paul said he was a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, and a man who served Christ above all else. 
So how would we apply this? And, 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 you know, as Brother Phil used to say, so what? What does this matter? How do we apply it to our lives? Well, I can think of two ways, two obvious ways. Number one, we need to seek role models like Timothy and Epaphroditus. You're looking for someone to emulate, that's what you look for. Number two, we need to be role models like Timothy and Epaphroditus. So let me speak for just a moment to those who are older in the faith. I want you to think about this for a minute. If you are saved and have been saved and consider yourself more mature in the faith, young Christians are watching you. They're watching you. And they need examples. And they need role models. And they need to see a Christianity that works and that glows with the promise of Christ. They need you to live it in front of them. And so the question, the challenge this morning is, will you be that role model? Will you be that person? Men, there are young men in our midst who need you to be a Timothy, who need you to be an Epaphroditus. They need you. They need to see a man genuinely care for the people of God, to be selfless in living for Christ, to be a proven believer who stands no matter what. They need you to be their brother. They need to see you working for Christ. They need to see you fight. They need to see you hold your shield and your sword high for Jesus. They need to see that you serve Jesus and nobody else. And ladies, the young ladies among us need the same. They need godly ladies to show them the way, to love them and care for them, to selflessly live like Christian women in front of them, to stay true to Jesus, no matter what stresses and trials and troubles come, to prove to them that it is real. They need to see you serving and fighting and serving Christ more than anything. So I ask you, will you be that role model? Will you be that role model? And then let me add a word to those who are young in the faith. And I've said this, but I'll say it again. You need to be very selective in where you look for examples. Don't look to the world. Don't look to social media. Don't look to culture. Look to the Bible. Look to those God has placed around you who are trying to live the Bible. Ladies, don't look to Beyonce. Look to women like Johnny Erickson Tata. Look to women like Elizabeth Elliot. Read about women like them who, no matter what came along, stayed the course. Emulate them. And men, don't look to politicians or sports figures. Look to men of God. The Bible has so many men that you can pattern your life after. You're not going to go wrong looking to somebody like David or Nehemiah or Joshua or Paul. You're not going to go wrong with that. And history is full of men who live for Jesus no matter what. Men like Martin Luther or Billy Graham or, or, Jim, or Billy Sunday or Jim Elliott or David Livingston. The list goes on. Look to them. So if you are mature in the faith, the challenge from this passage is, will you be such a role model? And if you're yet young in the faith, the challenge is, 
Where am I going to find my role models? Will I look for them amongst men such as these? Because I think the lesson from this passage is clear. I think these are the role models we should seek. I think that's what the Apostle Paul was saying when he said, Hold such men in esteem.